Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. service today, but I want you to know, if you are here, even though it's a little difficult for you today, for various reasons, Mother's Day can be difficult for some of us, and I just want you to know, you're seen, you're loved, and you're so brave for being in church on Mother's Day. Thank you for being here today. We are in a series called Lost and Found, and we kicked it off last week with Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, right? We really examined the two. What was different about these guys, right? What what was the same? What was different? We, We had to compare. Why did one so easily give it all up for Jesus? And one walked away sad. And this week, we have another two people to compare, but it's in the same passage today. Now, these two people, they're a little bit different. You know, the last two guys were were pretty similar, and you had to really look to see what was different about them. These two people we're comparing today, one is a man, one is a woman. Uh, One is a sinner. One is more of what we would call a saint, and actually a Pharisee, so... Today, we see that as not such a saint, because we know what Pharisee means for the most part. But then he was absolutely a saint. People looked up to his his, um, integrity, the way he carried himself. He he was a teacher. One was immoral, and one was very strict about his morality. And our story takes place today in a time when Jesus was become... He was becoming very, very popular. And why not, right? When had there ever been anyone like him? In that culture, he was one of a kind. He healed every kind of disease. He cast out demons. He made the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear. He even had risen people from the dead by this point. So his popularity was increasing. But as his popularity increased, so did the opposition against him, right? The Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of religious law, they had for years been in the driver's seat. They were the arbiters of what was right and what was wrong. They considered the rest of the people, the the common people, just ignorant rabble. They were very particular about whom they associated with and judged everyone else the same way. The Pharisees had a very strict religious code. They were a religious sect among the Jews. And the sect was actually based on separation. Actually, Pharisee literally means to be separate, to separate. There were about 6,000 of these guys spread throughout the country. 
And they were teachers in the synagogues, and they had appointed themselves guardians of the proper observance of the law. And they added hundreds of laws, actually, on top of God's word. I don't know if you've read through, like, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers lately, but there's a lot of laws already. (laughs) It's tough to get through some of those books because all of the laws. But they added hundreds to the Mosaic law in order to attain a legal righteousness. This was the mindset that they lived life every single day by the law. And they had great influence. And even the Roman rulers did not want to antagonize them. The major distinction of the Pharisees was that they gave equal authority to the oral law, which is the ones, all the ones that they added over time, right? Equal authority to that and the Mosaic law. So they saw their own laws, their own rules and religion as equal to God's rules and religion. They considered their tradition as binding as God's word. And many times it directly contradicted God's word. We have so many similar things today. It's easy to judge them harshly now, you know, but cultural Christianity, and we talked about this last week, cultural Christianity hangs on to things sometimes that aren't even in the Bible. We see them as law. We we treat them like scripture and judge people who don't listen, don't we? I call these fences. The Bible does put fences around certain things, right? These fences are meant to keep you out of harm's way. They're meant to protect you. We put fences up around things. The the Bible puts fences up around adultery, for example, sexual immorality, stealing, murder. Jesus went even further to, to put a fence around hate itself, right? He didn't just come to obliterate the law, he actually fulfilled it and deepened it. So not only should there be a fence around murder, but also hate in your heart. Things that either hurt you or hurt others, that there are fences around these things because they're dangerous. It's for good reason. God doesn't want us to be hurting, so he put a little fence there, warned us about some things. Be obedient and you will live blessed, right? But some of us, what we do is we put extra fences around the fences. We just keep building fences around things, right? The Bible's fences don't be drunk, but we put an extra fence there that says don't drink any alcohol. The Bible has a fence that says guard your heart. Be careful what you put in your mind. And we put an extra fence there that says don't listen to any non-Christian music, worship only, right? There's nothing wrong with these. It's not necessarily like they're bad. In fact, some of them are very good because they keep us out of temptation. The trouble comes when we try to put our fences on somebody else. When we start judging them for not adhering to our fences. And I know today's Mother's Day. We're not going to talk too much about it, but here's a little parenting tip for you in honor of Mother's Day. When put on children, these fences can actually be dangerous when you put your fences on other people because the problem is once you hop a fence and find no danger you're more likely to hop another one and another one and another one sooner or later you're going to get to the actual dangerous fence right you're just going to hop right over it because after all none of the other rules were useful 
can be dangerous when applied to other people. We must always make a distinction between what God's word says and the way that it is interpreted and applied by men. This is, is, it's why it's so important to check what anyone tells you with scripture, with actual scripture. It's why I'm always trying to tell you to feed yourself. The only time you get spiritually fed shouldn't be on a Sunday morning from what I've regurgitated toward you. It's, I said it gross for a reason. <laughs> you should be feeding yourself throughout the week, checking what I'm saying with the word. Now, this is my interpretation, but you might get so much more out of it. And if I can train you to do it with my words, I can train you to do it with others as well. Go to the word, research it, ask questions of it, study it. Don't just read it, listen to it. Study it, get familiar with it like a good friend to the point where you can sort of feel what it would say. And that doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem like what the Bible would say. I, I can pretty much tell what my husband would say, right? I'm close enough to him, I, I can guess what he would say to a particular situation. Sometimes I'm wrong. He surprises me. Sometimes still after how many years? <laughs> But I know what it would say. Get familiar enough with the Bible to be able to tell what it would say. The spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law like these Pharisees. The Pharisees made up their own rules and and stuck to them like law. Entire religions are built around these extra fences. The Amish, for example. See all the extra fences there? I can say that because my my family is Amish. My my dad left that religion when he was eighteen. Because there's so many extra fences, he 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 started looking around and saying, "But nobody's coming in. Nobody can get in. Isn't our job to spread the gospel? Nobody's hearing it because we've got all these extra fences keeping people out." Entire religions are built around these extra fences, and eventually, what happens is you start interpreting the word to match your fences. Instead of the other way around. Start asking, start researching a little bit of the Amish culture, and you'll find these really quick. This is just an example, but it's a good one. I, I get questions sometimes. Why, why do they do this and not that? Why do they do that and not this? I, I, just stop asking. It doesn't make sense. It's not meant to. It's extra fences around the word. They pick and choose willy-nilly, it seems, sometimes. Don't interpret the word to match your fences. Make your fences match the word. For instance, the Pharisees despised sinners. Despised sinners. And they felt that they, and they alone, reflected accurately God's attitude towards sinners. By sinners, of course, they meant tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves, and murderers. Never themselves. They never turned that microscope around on themselves. They considered themselves righteous because they obeyed the hundreds of rules that they had made. It's starting to sound a lot like they're worshiping their own God, isn't it? Their own rules. Their own religion that they made up. They actually taught that there is joy before God when... Quote, when those who provoke him perish from the world. And they're thinking God hated sinners and withdrew himself from them. And since Jesus welcomed sinners, 
I even ate with them. (gasps) The Pharisees generally concluded he could not possibly be from God. Their fences made them miss the Messiah when he was right in front of them. They thought they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for someone far from the actual Messiah, and they missed him. Because they thought they were found. They were far from it. We're going to read a story today about one of these Pharisee interactions with Jesus. From Luke 7 starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. I know we're only one verse in, but I'm stopping right there. Jesus went where he was invited. Jesus went where he was invited. Jesus goes where he is invited. Look, I know this point doesn't sound very deep. (laughs) Pretty obvious. Yeah, he was invited. He went, Candace. What's the point, right? But the fact that Jesus goes where he is invited is actually huge to our understanding of who he is and how deep we let him in. He goes where he is invited. See, I haven't used this example in a while, but some of you will recognize it. There are three types of friends. Anybody know where I'm going with this already? It's been a while. Kitchen friends. Right? There's kitchen friends, there's dining room friends, and there's front door friends. Front door friends might know where you live, they might drop off a pot of soup when you're sick, but they don't come in, and you'd feel super uncomfortable if they just showed up and just came in, right? This is the acquaintance level of friendship. They know you a little bit, not quite enough. And there's dining room friends, social friends. You might invite them over for a nice dinner, but you sit in the nice living room, and you use the nice plates, and, and they don't help clean up afterward. Right? They don't know you like that. Social friends, dining room friends. But then there's the kitchen friend. Right? And this is the friend that shows up long before the dinner party who sits on the counter while you're cooking and dips their finger in in the cookie dough or whatever you're cooking and helps you clean up the mess and hangs out long after everybody else has left. Helps you clean up. Right? Sits and has the real conversations. You, you don't talk about what movies you've seen lately. You talk about how your boss treated you that week or, you know, the real stuff. Kitchen friends, best friends, the people that know you best, classified by how deeply you let them into your life. Jesus will come as far as you let him. If you see Jesus as an acquaintance in your life, it's because you've kept him at the front door. He knows where you live. Not well enough to come into the mess. You'd be horrified if you saw the mess. Right? You clean it up nice and neat before you invite him over. Right? You might let him in, and, but he uses the nice plates and, and the nice silverware, and you make everything real pretty and shiny for him. You clean that bathroom that never gets cleaned, and, and you shove things under couches. Come on, you do that too. He wants to be your kitchen friend, though. He wants to come over early, hang out, have the the real conversations. He wants to say, hey, you know, you've had that pizza box over there for like a week now. Maybe let's, can can I help you clean it up? Right? He wants to help. He wants to be.
in those conversations, the real stuff, not the stuff you put on for show. He's not afraid of your anger or your questions or your doubts or your fears. He just wants to be in those conversations. Jesus went where he was invited, and he still does today. It doesn't mean he condones all the behavior. It doesn't mean that he agreed with everything in this Pharisee's house. Look, we live in a culture that wants to polarize us. It wants to put us in tribes, in camps. You either agree with me or you are Satan himself. Right? And there's so many of these topics now after 2020. It's super hard to navigate. You, you are, you're vilified, you're ostracized, you're canceled if, if you disagree. That's one of the many reasons we've seen some people walk away from church this year because we disagree on so many things. And when we think, for some reason, that makes us enemies. We're not enemies. We agree on Jesus, right? We're not enemies. And even if we don't, we're definitely not enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Christians shouldn't have enemies. There might be people coming after you, sure, for what you believe. But you love them. That's what Jesus taught the Pharisees. We're the same as this, this cancel culture we have going on, right? You either followed every rule just like them, and you carried yourself this way, and you dressed this certain way, and, and showed up at this certain time, and whatever. You followed all the hundreds of rules, or you are the enemy. But there is a middle ground. Jesus held that middle ground, and we must do the same. The middle ground was radical. The middle ground was unthinkable to the Pharisees and unprecedented to the sinners. It was revolutionary. This is why his ministry changed the world, because he didn't fit in any of the boxes. And there were lots of Jewish boxes he could have fit into. There were four different tribes of Jews that were all trying to recruit him to their side. They all wanted him because he was dynamic. He had a following. He didn't fit into any of them because he held that middle ground. The middle ground says, we love you. We'll come where we're invited. It doesn't mean we condone or agree with everything, but we love you. It's a tough place to be. Difficult place to be because people will judge you for it. Though, even though you're desperately hanging on to the middle ground, they will try to put you in a box. You'll get judged. They won't understand. People will assume things about you. If you don't pick one camp or another, then you must be in the opposite camp from me. Right? Greatness sometimes comes. It requires the ability to be okay with being misunderstood. This is why Jesus retreated to pray so often by himself. He was so misunderstood. And everything that came out of his mouth was misunderstood by somebody. We have to get okay with being misunderstood. I, I, I sometimes will have to get okay with being misunderstood for the sake of the gospel. To hold that middle ground. I know a pastor friend who tells a story pretty often where he felt God was laying on his heart to go see a neighbor of his, but he knew that neighbor sat on the porch and drank his beer, and, and that's where God was telling him to go. And, and God actually told him, go get a six-pack and bring it to your neighbor. Sit there and tell him about the gospel. And he was terrified. 
that somebody would misunderstand that he was going to get a six-pack. He almost didn't do it. He almost let fear of judgment keep him from reaching that guy. This is what I'm talking about. Jesus goes where he is invited. We have to be willing to as well, even if we're misunderstood. The lost will invite Jesus in sometimes, even though they haven't given him full control yet. There will come a point, though, and it's up to God to, and it's completely up to God to know when this point is, not us. There will come a point where the lost and Jesus will disagree, as we're about to read in verse 37. So he's at this dinner, right? When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, if he were actually a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. It's like worst word to him. He spat when he said it in his head, probably. But he said this to himself. Did you catch that? This didn't come out of his mouth. He said this to himself. But judgment is really easy to read. It's really, really easy to read. You might think you're hiding it. Judgmental thoughts going on in your head. You're not. People can literally feel judgment. Even when you say nothing. Right? Have you ever walked into a room and you just feel everybody judging you? They don't have to say a word. They can feel it all over you. It's not about what you say really at all. It's about what you think. The Bible says, let scripture transform you by the renewing of your mind. It's about what you think. Jesus deepened the law by taking it to the heart. It's not just about what you think. It's about your heart. Because out of the heart, a man speaks. What you feel deep inside is what comes out of your mouth. This is why I would rather you fix what's in your heart than try to fix all the words that come out. Some people... Work on swearing, like, I really need to stop saying these things. And yeah, sure, absolutely, that's a great goal, but maybe also look deeper. Like, what's causing you to say them in the first place? Is it a lack of compassion, a lack of patience, a lack of grace for mistakes? It's just like our Wellspring series from a couple months ago. Pour Jesus in, and what comes out of your heart will be more compassionate, more graceful, more patient words naturally. And you won't have to try so hard to control your mouth. The Bible actually says if you could control your mouth, you could control everything. (laughs) Meaning it's really hard to control your mouth, like really hard. But you can pour Jesus in your heart. Let him change you from the inside out. That is what he does. We focus too much on the outside sometimes. Too much on the laws, on the hoop jumping, on the doing everything perfectly and correctly. Thinking that's what will gain us salvation. It's about the heart. Fix the heart. People can feel judgment. It is felt more than it is said. Fix the heart. This Pharisee had poured religion and rules and laws into his heart for so long that he lost the spirit of the law 
by obeying the letter of the law. You know, it's, it's possible to say all the right things with the wrong heart behind it and still be wrong. You could say all Jesus' words, everything that he said with the wrong heart behind it and still be wrong. Have you ever been to a, a judgmental church? <laughs> Turns you away from Jesus. Doesn't make you want to run to him. Verse 40. Jesus knew his thoughts. He answered his thoughts. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my, the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. It's a very generous thing to say of Jesus, isn't it? Would some tears actually wipe his feet? He was being generous and kind, compassionate. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Jesus honored what he could honor. Honor what you can honor what you can. A friend of our churches, they always say, honor up, honor down, honor all around. Honor up, honor down, all or, honor all around. It means you honor the people above you in position or, or whatever. You honor the people below you and you honor everybody else too. Honor up, honor down, all or, honor all around. Why can't I say that? You try it. Honor all around. Say it. You're better at it than me. It's all right. There's a lesson here. As we'll see in the next sentence, Jesus doesn't back away from the fact that she has sinned. He doesn't hide truth. He doesn't water down the gospel, right? But he speaks the truth in love. There's a difference. He honors what he can honor, which is now that she is... She is wholeheartedly, unashamedly worshiping her Savior with what she has, which probably isn't much. But she's humble and genuine, and he honors that publicly. This is another parenting lesson in honor of Mother's Day. With your kids, honor what you can. Build them up. Encourage them. Right? Honor what you can so they'll live up to it. When they do something great, tell them they did something great. Publicly, if possible. Compliments always work best publicly. Honor what you can. Verse 47, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. We don't see her asking for her sins to be forgiven. Kind of doubt she thought she was worth it. 
And I doubt that was even a question in her mind. She thought she was so far gone. The Pharisees had probably always told her how far gone she was, treated her like she was trash, like nothing, no, not, certainly not worthy of forgiveness. But forgiveness is not earned. It is given. A trust is earned. Forgiveness is given. It's an important understanding when you, you turn towards God for the first time or the first time in a long time. There's nothing you can do to earn the forgiveness of your father. Jesus gave it freely. It is a gift. Forgiveness is not earned. It is given. And Jesus forgave her sin because her heart was grateful. Because her actions showed her faith. Because she knew that he could forgive her. That's why he forgave her sins. Gratitude can fix a lot. A grateful heart can fix a lot. She was showering him with how grateful she was, kind of literally, with her tears. She was laying it on thick. Gratitude fixes a lot of things. Gratitude shows humility. It's tough for an arrogant person to say thank you. Gratitude shows you're willing to say, entitled, arrogant people don't say thank you for anything. They, they believe that they deserve it. They earned it, right? If you're struggling with judgmental thoughts today, start practicing gratitude. Pick out one thing you're thankful for. All the people around you. Right? Even that person that, you know what person I'm talking about. You can't think of a nice thing to say right now, but try is what I'm saying. Practice gratitude. If you're struggling with anxiety and depression, practice gratitude. Thank God for the sun on your face and the pretty little dandelions in the yard. Thank God for the little things. If you're struggling with selfishness, start practicing gratitude. You'll start to notice all of the ways the people around you are amazing. They are. You're struggling with arrogance? Start practicing gratitude. It will fix a lot of things. Go out of your way to thank people for things. Things they should do anyway, but, you know, thank them. This is for husbands today on Mother's Day, with sons, okay? Thank your mothers, the mothers in your life. Thank them for things that they're going to naturally do anyway. Thank them for it. What I mean by practicing gratitude is sometimes it takes a little practice. I, I heard somebody once say they were starting a journal and they, their goal was to write 1,000 things that they were grateful for. So they sit down and they think every day, what am I grateful for today? And the goal was to not repeat anything at all. You know, it, the first things are pretty easy, right? I'm, I'm thankful for the, the clothes on my back, the food in my fridge, the roof over my head. As you exhaust the list of easy targets, you'll begin to see people in a new way, too. You'll begin to see what your spouse is doing for you, how they are loving you, and not all the ways that they're not. Like how people do surprise you, not all the ways they're, they're letting you down. You'll begin to see beauty in the world again. Are you grateful for the little flower that pops up between the cracks of the pavement? 
right, that shouldn't be there, that, that's going to go on the list as you exhaust the list of easy targets because it, it, it reminds you that beauty can grow anywhere, right? Or you start to be grateful for the way the kids run through the house like a bat out of hell. Reminding you that someday those pitter-patters won't be there anymore. To live each moment for what it is. Hey, you'll start to be grateful for friendship, real friendship, kitchen friendship, not just the judgmental and at arm's length friendship. Start to be grateful for the people in your life that speak truth even when it's tough to hear. The, The Holy Spirit whispering warnings even when you don't want to hear them. Grateful for forgiveness because you definitely don't deserve it. Start practicing gratitude. It fixes a lot. In this woman's case, it forgave her sins. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, even though she didn't ask. She just came to where Jesus was and served him wholeheartedly, showing her gratitude. Verse 49 says, the men... At the table said among themselves, who is this man? He goes around forgiving sins. Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look, if you think that you're a Jesus follower today, but you've been judging people hard, you might need to reexamine some things. Look, we all fall into it. From time to time, pride is a sneaky bugger. Creeps in, and before you know it, it takes over. It causes us to be blind to all the ways that we are lost. We can't see it anymore. And the Bible doesn't actually say, don't judge anyone ever, by the way. It says you can judge people by their fruit. We need discernment and wisdom in our lives. There is a purpose to that. God doesn't want you walking around always thinking the best of everyone all the time because you will fall into some traps that way as well. But there are far false prophets out there. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm not telling you to turn off the tap of wisdom and discernment. I'm not saying the Pharisee needed to marry the immoral woman or take her advice on everything or give her his complete and total trust. Okay? talking about removing your own blinders removing the sin of pride the pride comes before a fall because it makes you blind to your own issues that's what it does think you're found today you think you're, you're a Jesus follower you're sold out but you're still thinking that people are beyond saving looking at people all wrong fact is usually the people that you think are probably beyond it that are quickest to come to Jesus when given the right opportunity. It's the ones who think they have it all together that are blind. Lost and they don't even know it. If the Pharisee thought that her immorality would rub off on him, he wasn't thinking about her at all. Only himself. That's the problem with judgment. It only thinks about you. It's so selfish. You focus on getting yourself to a place where you can withstand any kind of temptation, any kind of immorality being around you and you not falling into it. 
If you're that weak in your faith that you can't be around sin, you have some work to do that has nothing to do with other people. Everything to do with your own heart. I want to be strong enough in my faith, having practiced enough fasting, enough gratitude, enough worship, enough wholehearted adoration of my Savior, having digested and studied enough of the Word that I can enter into any sinful scenario where sin is happening all around me and not fall into it, be affected by it, or have any of it rub off on me. Jesus ate with sinners. He went in places the Pharisees never would have darkened the door of. And none of it rubbed off on him. He loved people. He changed the environment where he went. He didn't let it change him. I want to be so strong that I can enter into it willingly like Jesus did and I can change it for the better instead of letting it change me. Before we end today, I want to throw just four quick ways to fix the judgmental thoughts. Because the Pharisee had Jesus at arm's length. Right? He, he was more lost than ever. Pride had blinded him. But the immoral woman knew exactly who Jesus was and exactly who she was because of it. She was found. You struggle with judgment today. First, you have to recognize it. To fix the judgmental thoughts, we must recognize them. See them for what they are. Take your pride blinders off. See them for what they are. They are pride. That is it. Because you can't earn God's forgiveness. It is given. Secondly, you must examine them. Why do I feel this way? Wait, what do I, why, why do I feel the need to feel better than other people? Why is that a need deep in my soul? Allow Jesus in to that. Ask him that question. And watch him fix it. Number three, take those thoughts captive. Meaning, don't allow yourself to feel that way anymore. Don't allow yourself to think that way anymore. It's not just about controlling what comes out of your mouth, but what goes on up here and in here. Stop it. You are in control. Put a stop to it and retrain yourself. Number four, fasting retrains you. We talked about Jesus fasting two weeks ago. He was training. He was getting ready for the the ministry life that he was going to have to live. He retrained himself. He was training. Fasting retrains you. The word retrains you. Jesus can be your kitchen friend and come in and help you clean up that mess. You just have to ask him today because he goes where he is invited bottom line is we are not God. I am not God. I I don't get to pass my judgment on the world. That's his job. I can use wisdom and discernment, absolutely, but I can realize that I am just human too and let God handle the justice. Pharisee faith steps into God's place for him. Find freedom in the fact that that is not your job be found in his presence. You don't have to define it all. You don't have to have all the answers because he does. Father, today, 
We thank you for wisdom. Thank you for discernment. Thank you that we can judge by fruit, that we can walk through this life with our eyes open. God, help us not apply our fences to the people around us. Help us not judge too harshly that we can't reach people. God, help us be actually found in your presence, not just jumping through all the religious hoops and the do's and the don'ts and, well, I'm a good person because I, you know, I haven't murdered anyone. God, let us be honest in your presence. Let us be found in your presence. Let us today repent of all the ways that we've used religion instead of leaning into relationships all the ways that we've kept you at the front door and not let you into the kitchen. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe today you're examining a few things. Realizing that you haven't let Jesus in. Not nearly far enough. To want to allow him into the conversations that now you realize he's not scared of your fears, of your doubts. You don't have to hide them from him. And you want to invite him in today. Maybe for the first time. It's been a really long time since you did. Maybe today you feel like he's in, but been focusing a little bit more on the religious stuff. The jumping through hoops. The do's and don'ts. You've been working more on that than on your relationship with him. And you just want to repent today and correct it. There is forgiveness. There is grace in Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you today. Father, I thank you for every heart turned towards you. God, thank you that we can raise our eyes to heaven, that we are not downcast and and trudging through life. We are found. We are free. We are whole in your presence. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that forgiveness is a gift. You already paid the price for us. You love us so much despite all our flaws. God, help us stay found. Keep us from getting lost. Keep us far from temptation. Deliver us from the evil. Help us stay in your presence. Stay free and stay found. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 